Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now save $30 on the American-made steel FS56 RCE trimmer. Real steel. The FS56 RCE is made in America of U.S. and global materials. Offer valid through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Outkick 360 and the Tennessee Power Hour is underway. Alongside Paul Kuharski, I'm Jonathan Hutton. Glad you're with us. Lance Lee, Jakob Swanson making the show happen. David Reed is the chairman of the board. Sarah Triplett, our production assistant. Happy birthday to Regan McCrossin as well. Chad Withrow is back with us tomorrow. Uh, Paul, I, I thought uh, yesterday's announcement for the, the Titans and the Ring of Honor, well received uh, by all accounts with Fisher and Floyd Reese and, and Bum Phillips. What have you heard uh, from, from fans and people you've talked with of, about that announcement and how it's going down? I think well received, uh, generally speaking. I mean, there's always a, the Twitter population that, you know, how much, how much volume do you give uh, the Twitter periphery? You know, 500 coach, uh, you know, they put an eight and eight on there for Jeff. Uh, you know, celebrating salary cap mismanagement. Um, <clears throat> don't put bum on there. Take off all the Oilers. You know, a lot of people uh, still don't want to accept the way pro football, pro sports work, where <laughs> um, a franchise is a franchise, and it brings with us, uh, with it, the history of that franchise. There's been one exception to that rule with the Browns and the Ravens, the Ravens turning into an expansion franchise. Everything else goes. Johnny Unitas is a Colt. He's not a Raven. Um, and, and that's just the way it is. Like, you, you can fight that all you want, but there's no winning it. And Earl Campbell has zero connection. Bum Phillips has zero connection to the Houston Texans. Their connection is to the Oilers, and the Oilers are the Titans. Outside of the geography, there's, there's nothing there. And the team trumps the geography. The franchise trumps the, the geography. It's just that simple. And so there are some of those arguments going on. But outside of that, also people were like, you know, uh, there was a little bit of, uh, you know, well, uh, you know, Jeff Fisher or Floyd Reese would have been nothing on X team. To which I was saying, well, why would you judge them in the context of any other franchise? <laughs> their accomplishments, they're being honored for their accomplishments with the Tennessee Titans and with the Houston Oilers. Are you taking other people whose numbers are retired or who are in rings of honor out of the context of their franchise and applying the context of other franchises to them? It's, it's nonsense. It is. I don't, I don't know why, you, why people try to pick it apart uh, when it's undisputed and the numbers are there for, for the taking. They're the winningest general manager and winningest coach in franchise right. history. So they're saying winningest of a bad franchise. Well, yeah, they're historically not a great franchise, but, but he's won the most games for the franchise. <laughs> so in the context of the franchise, that's a big deal. Right, right. And and and, and so is Bum Phillips. I, I was surprised uh, to be able to look up there and not see his name. And it was clearly a falling out between he and Bud. Yeah. Um, and the and biggest, then, though Bud came to – to say it was the biggest mistake you ever yeah. made, firing him. So that should have been patched up and taken care of. Listen, a lot of that stuff just fell th through the sure. cracks. It wasn't a priority. 
Uh, the Titans were understaffed and overwhelmed on many fronts, and stuff like that just got mm -hmm. shoved to the side. Amy Adams Strunk is now they're catching up on some of this stuff that's that's overdue. Something like Bum Phillips, you know, and it ties into what they've done. We know they're going to upgrade the stadium, but they're they in years past they had the 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 sidewall the bunting around the field with Eddie and Steve the year they honored and retired their numbers um, last year a bit different but they did they had the fans in the background for that as well and, that, and they they I think they still I like do it. I like yeah it. I wonder what they'll um, do this year so it, but this ties in line with the theme of the home game season where you have you know at least two halftime ceremonies are taking place among other things that they'll add in uh, plus the Monday night football game those other things at Nissan Stadium. I mean, it, it adds to the theme of whatever they're doing there, and hopefully it means that it's adding to the aesthetics of how it all looks. And we hit that yesterday. Game day no operations. one disputing that. Yeah, how it looks. And, and uh, you know, a part of a bigger theme of the game day operation, which has been an issue for fans and something that Gil Beverly, who's now the, the second highest rank, or, you know, uh, second highest ranking person on the non Burke Nile is the team president. John Robinson's over over football. Gil Beverly's over non-football, and this has been a, a one of his big things is getting that game day operation and stadium operation Im improved. And last year, you can only see a little bit of it because they were playing to small crowds. Right. This year, you're back to right. to big crowds, and they've had another off season to tinker and to plan. They've hired more outside people <clears throat> to handle these assignments. I think people are ready to see. Gill's had a couple of years now, and people are ready to see what he and the people he, he's hired to take care of this have put together. People are ready for the new Titans game day experience. And, you know, the lines that had people waiting, they didn't get to work on in real practice last year, but they had a lot of time to work on it in theory last year. People are going to be anxious to see those things put into practice, and there's going to be a lot less. A lot of people have run out of patience anyway. Mm -hmm. There's going to be no cause for patience this year. I'm anxious to see what they've done. New public address announcer uh, on top That's of right. that, um, and two big home games out of the gate with Arizona. They're facing a lot of expectations there out west in, in the NFC, and then the second home game of the year is against the Indianapolis Colts after a trip to Seattle. So. It, Nissan Stadium, full capacity. Uh, it should it should be great. Uh, on top of the fact that that's also the the Bum Phillips and Oilers reunion weekend, it should be a lot of fun uh, for the for the average fan to to show up and have a great time. And uh, and I, I applaud the Titans for doing this because it makes a lot of sense. Uh, the, these are fan favorites despite what some of the, the small minority, a vocal minority may say. Certainly the people in the and, building will be And I like the fact it. that they tip the cap to the Oilers' history, too, because that is the franchise. Um, not every fan in Nashville is going to recognize the work that Bum Phillips did, but if you're on a, a casual you know, June Saturday afternoon and it's raining and you turn on NFL Network and you're flipping channels and a football life is on, there's a coach from your franchise that that they're paying homage to, that you can look up in the rafters and say, oh, I, I recognize that now, instead of years from now, seeing a show like that and being like, never heard of this guy before. His name should be up there. The one shame of it, really, if you think about it, is that they just 
approved the helmet change but couldn't get in the request oh, for the uniforms. Yeah. And so if this was happening in That's 2023, or if they had made this rule change earlier, Titans could be wearing powder blue oiler throwbacks on Bum Phillips Day at Nissan Stadium. Yeah. And that, that for cool. Oilers Titans Alumni Day would really be something. Only thing that could make it better is if they were playing the Texans, which just didn't fall right, I imagine, on the schedule because it's near Thanksgiving. Yeah. And I, I think that's probably the only reason it's not then. Or maybe it didn't fit the Phillips family schedule either. I don't know what Wade's got going on. I'm friendly with Wade. Uh, hopefully we'll have him on at some point. I, I suspect he's on vacation right now. Coming up, uh, some details with the Shea Weber contract. We, we hit this a bit yesterday, not in detail, but how Ryan Suter signed that 14-year contract in Minnesota. Shea Weber agreed to terms on a 13-year contract, 14-year contract uh, with, with Philadelphia that the Predators matched. The details of that contract, which is no longer legal, you can't have a contract that long anymore in the NHL, the details of that contract may leave the Predators uh, with money counted against their cap depending on what decision Shea Weber makes this offseason and the coming seasons remaining uh, on his career. Details there and much more straight ahead on Outkick 360. Outkick 360 across the Outkick network. We mentioned uh, yesterday a, a plan that I would have in place to make some changes with the Nashville Predators. And I, I compared it to the 2012 season and off season where Shea Weber, they ended up matching his contract offer that he signed with Philadelphia and agreed the terms. Uh, and then Ryan Suter left. They got nothing in return for him when he signed that long-term deal in Minnesota, which, by the way, the Wild are now paying him not to play for their franchise. So the Preds made out good there. They've made out well over the, the course of Weber's contract in Montreal as well. But as you read into the fine print, and we, we likely hit on this at the time, but now it's coming back full circle. It, it, it depends on how he ends his career as to if the Predators are going to owe money either to him or they will owe it against their cap. There will be a cap penalty, and, and I'll explain. Shea Weber has said he may sit out next season to recuperate from injuries that he has sustained both throughout his career and, and especially last year. He played last year in Montreal with two broken hands. Um, he's had... Uh, uh, foot injuries that have been well documented there as well. All sorts of things. He had a broken kneecap in Nashville. He had an Achilles injury when he first got to Montreal. Uh, he's banged up. He's made his money, and now he wants to heal his body at the age that he is. He's got a handful of years left, though, on that long-term deal that the Preds were able to trade when they made the trade with Montreal for P.K. Subban. But what's concerning about the whole thing is there is a chance with, with Weber letting this be known, Montreal could, could leave him unprotected in the expansion draft. He's their captain, and, and while I, I, I don't think that sends a great message, he's also their captain who is contemplating sitting out next year. And if he's, if he's viewing this as, look, I'm in it to win a cup and that's it, he has played in Nashville. He brought Nashville to a certain level. He was traded to Montreal, which is one of the hockey meccas. He's playing for cups there. He's the team captain for the Montreal Canadiens. Um, 
if, if you're viewing it that way and then he's traded to an expansion team, albeit the league does a good job of setting up expansion teams to win, is he thinking I'm in line to win the cup and I'm going to continue this after sitting out a year? The way things worked in the CBA back in 2012 when he signed his deal, he signed a 14-year contract. That's not legal anymore. The longest that a, a player can now sign is an eight-year deal. And a 14-year deal, the last couple of seasons, only pay out a couple of million dollars. But if he retires before that time, there is what the, the, a penalty in place for signing a player that long that they've put into the CBA called a cap recapture on teams. The Preds would be responsible for that because he retired or he would be, due to injury, unable to play for Montreal. That could cost the Preds up to $24 million of a cap hit. This that is would akin be, to an acceleration in the NFL? Yes, yes. And it would be, it would be spread out over a five-year period. So you, would, you could absorb it. It's not all in one year, but it's something that you have to plan for. And I, I've thought of ways, and I don't know if it's legal or not, I've thought of ways around it. But if you're him, Paul. This punishes you for signing a guy to a 14-year contract. Yeah, what it would be a lifetime contract, then you trade it, right? And, and it also, you're still responsible for it if you trade it. Yeah, it's the on the back end. It's the team that signs him to it. So, so his contract that he signed in 2012 does not expire until the end of the 25-26 season. He was just paid $6 million this year. He has another $6 million season next year. And then it goes down, it de-escalates to $3 million then the final three years are at a million dollars each. So there, there would be a penalty on the Preds there to, to recuperate the $24 million or whatever it is on back, back onto their, their cap. I wonder, though, if you find out that, okay, he's sitting out a year to get healthy, but he decides to retire based on whatever scenario you want. If you're Nashville, do you trade for him and then just put him on this long-term IR and just pay him the million dollars or whatever he's due over the final three years instead of counting seven or eight against your cap, whatever that figure ends up being. And I think it's been reported it's less than that. It's, it's per season around $5 million per season. But it's still affecting your overall cap number for a player that has been long gone. Yeah, and trading for him, you're... you're trading something away in order you to, trade save a draft cap, pick. to save cap dollars. That way, exactly. It's you kind trade of like the, uh, like the Brock Osweiler yeah. trade. Yeah, and again, I don't know if that structure is that is easy to maneuver. I want, uh, I, it's an interesting idea. I, I would trade for him and then just put him on this long-term IR, which we have seen teams take advantage of. And then you just stash him away and pay him the, the small amount of money he's due compared to the full amount he was paid over the life of that that contract, and hey, again, he may play. He may yeah. he may stay in Montreal. He may stay. He, they may protect him. But if you're Montreal, do you protect a player that's saying I may not play next year, and and he's paid six million dollars on on the contract? And he may be feeling a lot better in three months. Than it's he's also an now. easy contract for Seattle to take advantage of, and you get a really, really a, a solid player. Good player, you know. I, I, it seems short-sighted that the old CBA allowed for a 14-year contract. That, that's an unreasonably long contract. Eight years seems a lot. I, I mean, you're almost cutting that in half. 
well, the what maximum did, contract allowance. And the way his contract is structured, Philadelphia built this, and his agent built this contract the way it was because they did they, they tried they to, want poison to poison pill, pill it. it so the Preds wouldn't match it. So they front-loaded it, thinking that the Preds didn't have the cash to do it, and they matched it, which Found shocked the them. They say, oh, we want to stay in Nashville. It, they didn't. They wanted to go to Philly, and, and the Preds matched it. And, and now, because of the way the contract is structured, it could be appealing to Seattle. I don't know if Seattle is appealing to Weber, because, again, he's, he's playing in the hockey mecca, one of them, in Montreal, and... You know, he's he's a team captain there, and he's playing for Stanley Cup. I wonder if it makes it harder for you to trade that guy if this penalty transferred to the acquiring team. So, like, if when the Preds traded him to Montreal for Subban, if this went with him, would the Canadians been more Canadians have been more reluctant to acquire him? Um, Seems unfair, but I, I mean, the Wild are doing it now with Suter, right? They're taking the lumps. It's just that he's out with the team that signed him to the deal. Right. He's still on that team, as opposed to Weber being with a, a new team. Well, and, but and I'm glad that they've ironed out the CBA in a way where this isn't going to be an issue for somebody else going forward. Maybe there are a couple guys who still have this. Um, they are, yeah, well, they Parisi, are, uh, Parisi probably had same the same thing. thing. And, and, and how short-sighted does that seem for the Wild? Yeah, that they're better well. off paying these guys, and they were really going for it. Yes. How bad are they playing? I, I, I mean, I don't know Minnesota, Minnesota Wild hockey, but they must be really awful that you're willing to pay them to not play instead of uh, Well, their contract is structured where they're untradeable. You know, the money due to Weber is a lot different than the money due to because Ryan of the Suter. front load, as yeah, they front to loaded the... it to keep Nashville from matching, and Nashville matched. So, so that that's what could happen. It'd it's be just a, a shame, scenario out but it's there not to back, line up. It's not backbreaking cap it's not hits, back-breaking. but it's not helpful. <clears throat> yeah, <clears throat> excuse me. You're you're accounting for. A He's player. very emotional about Shea Weber. My uh, still five years later. No, no, I'm very emotional about Shea, who had a terrible game seven. Uh, no, it, it's it's a scenario that could happen only if Weber decides to hang it up. Yeah, that's it. And it, and the scenario is out there because he's he's it's not a threat. He's banged up, and he wants to rest his body for a year and see how he feels. But and how so, about this part? How about this part of it? Some of this cap hit would be this year. So you're right. This coming year. Not this coming year. No. Oh, okay. I was I was going to say if you had the allow for the possibility of taking a cap hit this year while you're planning your roster, waiting on some other team's guy to decide whether to retire or not. That'd be really punitive. Yeah, there's a lot. That'd be really punitive. So there's it's good a lot of maneuvering that'll take place. Like in this scenario, he would have to sit out the year. Uh, potentially Seattle could claim him. He retired. I mean, there's a lot of dominoes that have to fall into place to set up what I'm saying. But it's in play. And I, I, I'm just throwing it out. It's been mentioned in an ESPN article at the very bottom, just as a sentence, that the Preds would owe the money, not Montreal. And I, I think we should make fans aware that it, it's something that they have to consider as they go through the offseason to plan for future years. You know, this is making me think of, and I, I don't imagine that his injuries are on the level of Tony Baselli. I'm thinking of Tony Baselli getting taken in the expansion draft by Houston. Yeah. And I think Houston knew there was very little chance of Tony Baselli recovering and playing for the Texans, but it was part of some broader deal with the Jaguars um, that was made. 
I'm just thinking the same thing. Like if you're the Kraken and there's potential that he retires, is he too good to pass up? Well, and he's a captain. That that's the other part. It's of pretty it, hard to pass up. Is you get a quality player on the ice. Captain he's been a very guy. good player on the ice, and then he captain level in the locker room. Strong captain in the locker room. No disputing that when he was here in Nashville. Um, he's been that in Montreal. So, you know, and, and what a message it would send if Montreal leaves him unprotected. But again, he's he's telling them that he's considering sitting out 2021, 22. So we'll see. Imagine the size of that story in Montreal. Oh, massive. Massive. He's 35, by Daily the way. Weber watch. Wow, he's old. Came into the league, though, 2005. It's ancient. The Canadian's captain, he's, he has five years left, uh, a cap hit of 7.8 annually, and the Preds would owe uh, about five, over, uh, five million over five seasons if he steps away from the game. Montreal would owe $543,000 over five seasons. He played 48 season. Forty-eight games this past season before the playoffs. Only six goals. He had been in the teens the two years before that. Uh, Paul, let's switch gears. Let's talk some Titans football. Um, Tannehill and, and Todd Downing uh, teaming up this year. And we, we know what Arthur Smith meant to Ryan Tannehill and what Ryan Tannehill meant to Arthur Smith. Pro Football Focus uh, recently graded Ryan Tannehill number three on their list. In the season of lists, uh, he was number three uh, for the most efficient quarterback, according to PFF. And he was quoted in that on the Chris Collinsworth podcast, where he said, uh, when Arthur got here, things just clicked when he took over the play calling. Not when he got here. When he took over the play calling, things just clicked. How are there, there's, Everything is set up for Todd Downing to inherit what he inherited and take it to another level. Now, that next level doesn't necessarily have to be yards per game, points per game, but it can be what they do in the postseason as an offense and how they dictate the pace and the, 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 the style of play during games versus their opponent. But how quickly do you think we'll know whether or not that's meshing? Well, let's go back to that, examine the, the quote a little bit first. And we have because, a graphic for this. Because here. when Arthur took over the play calling, things did not just click. Arthur had seven games, I think, of Marcus Mariota. It was six. That were yeah. bad. They got shut out somewhere. They had a second half in Jacksonville Denver. that was terrible. Yep. Uh, that I think that might have been the end of Mariota. But things did not click. Uh, now, it was more Marcus than it was Arthur. But at the time, there was fan revolt calling for Arthur's head, wondering if Arthur Smith was qualified for the job. A lot of talk about Keith Carter in that period yeah. of time yes. as well. Now, it turns out that it wasn't the coaching that was holding that team back. It was the quarterbacking that was holding that team back. Uh, but I think it's fair, and I got this secondhand. I haven't read it yet, but Warren Sharp's preseason book is out now, too, a very valuable resource and a guy with a, a lot of good vision on the league. And I saw somebody kind of referring to it. This is secondhand, but I'll trust this person yeah. saying that he gives credit, Warren Sharp, more to Tannehill than to Arthur Smith. 
Now, I'm sure, look, it's co-credit here, and they're both largely involved. But that's something you'd like to hear if you're a Titans fan right now, that, that, uh, that it's more Tannehill than it is Smith, because Tannehill's here and Smith isn't. Um, so sure. Todd, Todd Downing just plugging in to, to what has worked. That's the thing for Todd Downing that Arthur Smith didn't have. Arthur Smith wasn't taking over an offense that had clicked and that had a recipe. Arthur Smith was taking over from uh, LaFleur, who couldn't get things to work, really, who didn't have the Derrick Henry, uh, who had, had kind of changed his mindset and taken things over. Look, they, they, you can say they misused him, but when they used him, he was not productive like he is now. Mm-hmm. They wanted more of a pass-catching back in Deion Lewis. Deion Lewis did not play to the level to warrant it. But I think it's fair to look back at those teams and say, that team that year, and say they didn't have an answer at running back to, uh, to mm-hmm. run the way they wanted to run. Therefore, they couldn't run the play action the way they wanted to run it with Mariota and all of that. Tannehill, when he finally got in the lineup, Arthur Smith had to create that offense. So his job was a lot harder and a lot more different than Todd Downing's, which I think is kind of where you're starting. Todd Downing is taking over a very successful, very high-scoring, very yard-productive offense with very established pieces in a completely different Derrick Henry than Arthur Smith had when he started in a completely different quarterback situation. Not with a rookie A.J. Brown that you're hoping is good, but with an A.J. Brown who's an established top 10 receiver in the league. Now with uh, Julio Jones layered on top of it, who's an upgrade over Corey Davis. The tight end situation is a little questionable. Uh, Offensive line is solid. This is an offense that uh, Chad has kind of said, like, you can call some bad plays and get some good results with this you town could. if yeah. you're Todd Downing. Yes. So the starting point for Todd Downing is a lot higher than the starting point for Arthur Smith was. He needs to not screw it up is kind of the standard. Look, Arthur Smith needed to grow something, build let's, something. Let's lay it out there. Todd Downing is set up to be a, a head coach in the National Football League now with this offense. He's, go, he's supposed to look really good calling plays. He could get interviews after this year if things go great. Uh, if things go, you know, I'm not saying he will, he could. But if he does what you would expect, the baseline of what you would expect, in two years people should be talking about should, Todd Downing. Yeah, I mean, so let's, let's go a layer deeper on the description of now what he inherits. how does he lead? We, he inherits a running back on a Hall of Fame pace, different than what the other two inherited. He inherits a true number one wide receiver in A.J. Brown and a team that just traded for a future Hall of Fame wide receiver in Julio Jones. Veteran offensive line with some of the best run blockers on the interior you're going to find. Uh, talent on the edge as well with, with Lawan, who's, we assume, back healthy with the, the knee injury. We hope he is. And then you know, some question marks, but on top of that, a very efficient, accurate quarterback that is cool, calm, and collected under pressure, right? Here's another piece. That, that's that, a huge piece to this. That point. Arthur Smith never got to. Darrington Evans, who's a third-round draft yeah. pick, who's, who is the kind of running back that they've lacked for this whole time, that Deion Lewis was supposed to be going back to LaFleur. 
um, a pass-catching running back who can run the full route tree yes. and line up anywhere. He's going to be primarily in the backfield, but he can motion out. He can give you some, some potential matchup, create some potential matchup difficulties, and adds to the arsenal. It's another versatile piece of the passing game that you haven't had before. Presuming he's healthy and he's what he looked like coming out of college, there's another piece that they haven't a layer. had. Yeah. It's a layer for Todd Downing that Arthur Smith didn't even have. Plus, if you're looking back at last year, which was a division-winning team, this offense stands to get the ball back in more favorable positions and to play with bigger leads on good days because the defense can't possibly give up over 50% conversion rates on third downs. The defense can't possibly only sack the quarterback 19 times. The defense hit rock bottom last year. You cannot believe at all in the people that they've brought in. It still has to be better than last year just by a happy accident. Also, we right? should, yeah, I, I completely agree with that. It, it has to be better just because it's so bad. Uh, it was like the kicking game. The kicking game got to a point it was so bad that no There's matter no who they signed year, last yeah. year, it was going to be better. Um, but also, I, I think another point to make with Downing that the other two did not have is Downing has play calling experience. He has a season out in Oakland where Lafleur had never called plays. He, he called plays in the preseason game that no one talked about. Uh, and, and we know Arthur Smith had been here and been groomed for that opportunity and made the most of it, but had never called plays in a game before. Downing has. So, and I, I'm not trying to say that what he did out in Oakland was anything great, but at least he has the experience and he knows what worked and, more importantly, what did not work in the style and the approach to defensive play calls or how defensive coordinators game planned against him and his tendencies. Surely he has studied that over the last couple of years, and that should be a huge benefit to him. They also have to worry early on about the mechanics. Just about like the, te yeah, yeah. It, you know, e even at the first preseason game, you work on all this stuff, but the timing of it, the ability to look, you know, on first down at having a second long, a second medium, a second short ready, and just knowing, <laughs> you know, yeah. the first time through for a coordinator, you've watched somebody doing do it, but doing it is a different deal, and he's done it. So just having done it, there's a certain, you, you skip to step two. You, you don't have to endure that uh, fr friction that comes with the mechanics of it. A clunkiness to it at first. Paul, you have an update. Uh, we'll call it an update. It is an update. You made a call for an update on Rashad Weaver. I made several calls, actually. Uh, so the two things that come out of it. NFL says that uh, it, the investigation of Rashad Weaver is, is ongoing. Um, so it's been, <laughs> I, I think I wrote 72 days since the, since the draft. Um, and it's, it's 13 days now, only until players report. So uh, not expecting anything new from the league on this. That's one of those standard replies where if you, you, you have to ask them for comment, and right? And they have to say that. And they, they say that every time. But here's the thing. Like, in some instances, the league will go ahead and offer discipline based on its own investigation, mostly in big cases. In, in a case, and I'm not dismissing what happened to, to, to this woman, um, and I think we've we've covered pretty thoroughly the the details of this assault case against Rashad Weaver misdemeanor assault case, but 
it seems to me the league discipline thing is going to wait on the legal process to play out and decide you know, a punishment for him based on what happens in the legal system. The Titans are waiting for the legal system to play out. His hearing is scheduled for October 5th. October 5th happens to be a Tuesday, which is player's day off. I don't know that he needs to be in Pittsburgh for it. A lot of these things happen without somebody present. His lawyer didn't return my calls. I don't know if she, um, Miss Navjelis, has an attorney or not. I couldn't learn that. But the way it works is a prosecutor is assigned to this the morning of the case. So I don't know if his lawyer wanting to try to settle this case I don't know if the prosecutor's office has those conversations at this stage because they're doing their day-to-day -day stuff on today's cases, so you, the next which they're step, getting this morning. You're saying the next step may not take place until October at the earliest? October 5th, where somebody gets the file and the lawyer comes and says, I'd like to sort this out before 1230 when we go in front of the judge. And maybe they reach a settlement, then they go in front of the judge and say, we have, we have okay. a settlement. Right? Doesn't that seem more likely? Because nobody gets this file, the, the, the public defender's office said, until that morning. One of the four people is in rotation. So like on a TV show, you get your files in the morning and, uh, okay, I'm prosecuting Mr. Weaver. Uh, now, if she has a lawyer, I think that lawyer would still be working with the city who's prosecuting him, right? The case is, right. the city is filing the, the, the complaint or executing the complaint. So, it seems to me it's unlikely that something gets resolved before then. What's the, what's the time element for the prosecutor? They've got no sense of urgency. Rashad Weaver's guy could conceivably have a sense of urgency, but I don't know how he would spark the other side to have any sense of urgency. Uh, meanwhile, on the field, they're going to need him early. Yes. Because we don't know what Dupree's status is going to look like. He may be available, but we don't know if it's uh, limited. I mean, we're assuming that just based off the injury and the timetable. But Weaver's going to factor into the depth and the rotation. He may start. <laughs> I mean, we don't know it, what what Dupree does opposite Landry right out of the chute. I, I think it's one of the bigger, more undersold concerns. Also, while we're on injuries, Caleb Farley. So yes. Jim Wyatt wrote in a mailbag or something that he doesn't expect Caleb Farley to be ready for training camp. This got blown into a story at Titans Wire. This Titans Wire thing that through USA Today drives me crazy. I mean, does anybody expect Caleb Farley to be ready? If there's a guy with an injury concern, expect him to be on. Uh, Caleb Farley rebuked that question in the name of Jesus yeah, he when did. he was asked. So he Caleb did. Farley expects to be ready for training right. camp. But what player doesn't say, I expect to be don't, ready for I don't care. They, when he said that, and, and they were downplaying the injury, and everything checked out, and then he was available to the media, he was asked, there are some that say, are you, you're not going to be ready for training camp. And he cut he off the question right. and rebuked that question in the name of Jesus you're while right. he sat in the car right. on, on Zoom. You're right. I take that to mean you're, you're practicing day one of training camp. Right. But players don't speak for what happens off injuries. Rabel and Robinson speak for what happens on injuries. And that, uh, by speak, I mean don't speak. But the, his, you, his reaction eased a lot of concern, though, that okay. he, he was going to recover and he was on the path to being ready. Okay, but you and I both know if there's any kind of question, what you do at the beginning is put them on PUP. Then you bring right. them out for what you can do because if something goes awry or whatever, you can keep them on that PUP 
into the season, right? If they have a setback right. or whatever. And that gives you a roster exemption that's a much easier sure. path than IR, et cetera, whatever. If they're active on the opening day of camp and then they get hurt or have a setback, then IRs in play and all that stuff. So, I mean, I think Lawan's fine from what we're seeing and everything, but I wouldn't be surprised if they start him on PUP before he's out there for a few days and they're, they get to see him for a few days and then they're like, okay, we're fully certain we'll activate him. Plus, the first couple days of camp now are this uh, – acclimation period right so it's not like you're missing a lot in the first sure. couple days while you're watching the team ramp up then you come off you get your own acclimation period dupree definitely going to be on pup right i would expect farley is too but i wouldn't say jim wyatt saying that that caleb farley's going to uh, not be ready for the start of camp is some headline now people keep telling me that a to z is reported that he's not going to be ready for opening day if a to z has reported this Somebody show it to me. Every time somebody's told me this, I've said, show me, and nobody showed me anything. So it strikes me that they, ha they have mentioned this in a broadcast or something, but if they've mentioned it in a broadcast or something and they haven't written it as a headline story, it strikes me that they might have something that they don't really have. Like, if I had that Caleb Farley wasn't going to be ready for opening day, it would be on Pro Football Talk by now for how much volume I would have given it. So if they have it, let me see it. Because that's a, a big report. And that's a, that's a huge... Uh, That'd be a big development. Yeah, that's a huge shot to their defensive game plan for how they're going to counter how horrible they were on third down and, and their matchup against certain receivers. pressure immediately on one Christian Fulton. Well, and also goes against why they drafted him. Why, why you take him where you take him if he's not available for the season. And he checked out medically, right? That, that would indicate there are further problems with the back. Yeah, I, that I don't know be, how else to read very, into that. That, that that's would be true. a very long end. I haven't end. seen that either. That would be a very long end of the recovery timetable, and this would be another first rounder. Set Jeffrey Simmons aside. We knew the restrictions for him. But this thing with first rounders not, uh, and er, high picks, top first three round picks, mm -hmm. yeah. not being around for training camp of their rookie year, they're just so nonchalant about that. I mean, this is an injury that he should, if he's on track, be ready to participate. Maybe not all of camp, but a good share of camp. Um, so I haven't seen that report. If anybody yeah, has a either. report from A to Z, I'd, we would love to see it. Promote it. We'd be, we'd be talking about it. Uh, Jacob, do you have the link of the break-in at Nissan Stadium? We are in the, the Tennessee Power Hour. We've talked, at Outkick.com. Uh, we've talked about a couple break-ins. Richard Sherman's, mine. Yeah, and now at Nissan Stadium. Where we, we have the details here, and we'll zoom in a bit. This is from Joe Kinsey, 36-year-old uh, man arrested Wednesday for trying to pull off one of the crazier heists in Nissan Stadium history um, before he was stopped by Metro Police. This is from Channel 2 WKRN. Stadium security, uh, they see this guy, uh, William Thrift. What a great last name for this man. William Thrift loading 29 beers into a bag and box. 29. Uh, my guess is he was drinking that, 30. <laughs> that's what was available uh, to him. He took all beers available out of this cooler. Um, and the best part of the story is when the state of security cool. reacted and confronted him, they asked him why he was there, and he said the door was open. <laughs> <laughs> so he, he took his beer. Now, uh, Mr. Thrift uh, also looks the part. There he is. There's Mr. Thrift. Whoa. 
you know, the open door policy for Mr. Thrift was uh, assumed, and then he was met with Metro officers and taken into custody uh, for theft. It's actually the second time in 17 months Nissan Stadium has had someone unwanted uh, in their in their uh, premise stealing beverages. It gives you a lot of confidence in their security over there. I would say, Hut, this is the biggest theft at Nissan Stadium since that goal line stand and the play clock controversy oh. at the end of the Ravens game with McNair. Yes, and with Flacco. Yeah, that was bad. Yeah, with Flacco uh, at the the quarterback, the, the play clock resetting. definitely definitely expired. But also McNair uh, was in, he was out, they re-ran it, and then they held him out of the end zone, and that was the last play of the game, right? Is that the same game as the, as the play clock? No, the play clock game was with, uh, with Algie Crumpler. Uh, this was... You know the one I'm talking about. I they, do, They were yeah. at the right side of the field. The and play clock game was with end. Algie Crumpler and the fumble at the goal line, where he was diving in or trying to. Uh, coming up, are we at the goal line for Nashville fairgrounds and the speedway. We're, we're going to find out details based on a rendering that was released yesterday. Are we about to see the grandeur of the fairgrounds speedway back and NASCAR back at the fairgrounds? That's next as we wrap up the Tennessee Power Hour. Outkick 360 across the Outkick Network joined by the chairman of the board, David Reed, who in his contract with us uh, we must scoot closer together mm. instead of further wow. apart when we are on set. It's, it's also, uh, we're closer together because we're right underneath the air conditioning unit here inside Blackbird Studio, the Blackbird Academy. Uh, thanks for being with us. We've got the 360 parlay straight ahead from Jacob Swanson. But first, Reed is here because Reed, dating back a year and a half, two years ago, has been a staunch supporter for all things Nashville Fairgrounds Speedway. and having racing upgraded NASCAR back at the fairgrounds and not at the super speedway, chances are we can get both now, uh, especially after the rendering that was released yesterday by the fairgrounds for the upgrades that are to come to the track. And I want to get Reed's take on this graphic and the overall look of the track itself, which looks great. I mean, the first thought when I see it is this is professional. This is NASCAR style and quality. How realistic is the track that we're seeing this drawing of, Reed, compared to what you envision it looking like? I mean, to, to be honest with you, that's exactly what I envisioned it looking like when I heard the name Speedway Motorsports was going to be involved with it because Speedway Motorsports only runs and operates first-class facilities around, around the country, including Bristol uh, out in East Tennessee. But this, I mean, this excites me and it saddens me both at the same time to know that we're pushing up against a deadline of July 31st to get an, an agreement in place with all parties for Speedway Motorsports to be in Nashville and make these upgrades to uh, Fairground Speedway in order for them to be ready to race there in 2022. And it just, it seems like a situation where there's a lot of misinformation being fed to the residents around that track and around that property about what's gonna take place over there. And 
uh, being led by Councilman Colby Sledge and the head, the chairman of the fair board, Jason Bergeron, who keep pressing Speedway Motorsports to be more transparent and open and offer more details to the community around that racetrack while they themselves are engaging in a misinformation campaign. This racetrack is protected by the city of Nashville and Davidson County. It was a two-to-one vote to protect this racetrack. This racetrack is going nowhere. I think they're trying to lead people who live in that vicinity to believe that they can shut down racing at this racetrack. That's not the case. The best case scenario, if you are concerned about the noise and the traffic uh, in that neighborhood for races, is to allow Speedway Motorsports to come in and take it over. That's the only way you're going to get sound mitigation. That's the only way that you're going to have a facility that has less race dates, mm -hmm. has rest, less practice dates. This will be a more efficient operation. It'll be a, um, a be able to be much more profitable than it has probably since it was ever built. Um, and I just, I, I don't understand how people living in that vicinity of that track are so much in an uproar about the racing there when they bought a property adjacent to a racetrack that's been there since 1904. There's no one living over there right now that was there before that racetrack was there. And I don't understand how you can, on one hand, be concerned about all the things that are going to go on at this racetrack, but embrace the soccer stadium. These facilities are going to seat the same amount of people. Yes, there's a lot more noise at a race than there will be a soccer game. But you're complaining about noise. Noise is noise, right? 30,000 people at the soccer game chanting for the duration of that game is not going to be that much more quieter than the racetrack is going to be. David, you look fantastic you on camera. Thank you. Did you see parcel, is it parcel 2C? Parcel 8C is a 8C. parcel 8C. that was between Did you see it? the back. No, you don't You don't really see it. Is in the, that state, is the soccer stadium the to the left? Account. I think I lost it. Of this? The, the soccer stadium is to the right of this. Put it back so, on, bring so it back it's back. off camera yeah. to the right. Yeah. So yeah. this okay. is behind the grandstand. Yeah, so you see the little roads there yes. to the right. That You can see a little bitty piece of yep. that parcel that yep. was kind of in conflict between the, the two entities and trying to gain control of that. I thought what we were seeing was the stadium was like at the bottom of the screen, that area, that gray area. No, um, so the grandstands, so the grandstands will stay where they are. They'll just be okay. uh, extended and uh, built more down towards turn one, two. That's where they're going to get the most uh, increase in that capacity is going to happen. Building stands around down into turn one. So when they release this, or they're releasing this for the July thirty first decision. But how is this the final mock up? They're ready to go as soon as they can. I, is that your understanding? I, it's my understanding that Speedway Motorsports is just waiting for someone to sign the Good. deal, and then they'll they they the July thirty first deadline was put in place because the original agreement was to have races up and operating at the track in twenty twenty two. So that's what's in jeopardy if this deadline gets extended. How much? How realistic is is building concurrent with the finishing of the soccer stadium? You think, or does one that be done? I, I think ideally the soccer stadium would be at a point where you could get in there and be able to work on both facilities at the same time. The soccer stadium, the progress, I drive by it every day coming over here to Blackbird Studios. The progress there has been amazing. And it's, it's almost a, a, a weekly thing that you see so much more of that going up. So I don't know what their time frame is as far as completion of that. But I do think that there's a scenario where there's room for two construction projects to be going on over there at the same time. I have to say, just hearing this conversation, I'm thinking, 
It'd be cool as hell. I don't know if they'll ever do same day thing to see a soccer game oh, in the afternoon yeah. or race at night. Well, see, and I'm no race guy, but you and I have talked about taking yeah, each other. Yeah. To so that 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 would be the one problem because ingress egress parking is still going to be an issue. It's it's an issue right now for the soccer stadium. 30, finding thirty thousand spots over there or fifteen thousand spots if you're carpooling is going to be an issue. It's going to be an issue this Saturday. Uh, with the Rackley Roofing Master of Pros 150 and the SRX Championship That's this over weekend? the fairgrounds. It's this weekend. It's Saturday. Ooh. I have a ticket if Ooh. you want to go with me. I'll be there for for all the racing action. You'll get to see Tony Stewart, Elio Castroneves, or Helio Castroneves, depending on whether or not you pronounce your ages like Bill Elliott's son, uh, cup champion Chase Elliott will be over there as well. But, uh, yeah, I... I, the parking is going to be an issue regardless. Right now, they're parking people on the in the fair park on the grass where the soccer fields are to get them over to the stadium. I just park at Santa's Pub, get bombed, and walk over. Walk. You and Jacob struggle. Yeah. Uh, Jacob, speaking of Jacob, Jacob, give us the 360 parlay if you don't mind, and to to play us out. Play on us this out, Thursday literally. Edition. We need to know what we're playing tonight at FanDuel.com/slash/OK360. And we are going to be going for the Boston Red Sox. Oh, I thought it'd wow. be fun to make Paul bet against the Yankees. Oh, Under 10 man. total runs. And Eduardo Rodriguez over five and a half strikeouts tonight. $5 play wins you 30-29 uh, through FanDuel.com. It's hurtful, but I'm a team player. So. Uh, some great <laughs> offers as well for first-time users. FanDuel.com slash OK360 up to $1,000 cash back plus... Uh, you can bet uh, on the Bucks or the Suns to win their next game at 30 to 1 odds. It's a great offer, and it's through fanduel.com slash OK360. Thanks for joining us today. We are back at it tomorrow for Outkick 360. Don't block the box, and please, please lock the locks. And you know who could lead the charge on locking the locks? The Titans at Nissan Stadium. Hey, it's Jonathan Hutton. Thanks for listening to Outkick 360. Be sure to subscribe to the show to have the latest podcast delivered to you each and every day. And give us five stars. It helps us grow our network and provide you with more great podcasts like this one.